Thank you, Lord. You can be seated. Thank you, Caesar. I tell you, I love the Lord and I hate the devil. And that's the way of it. For too long, he's been telling God's people a bunch of nonsense. And it's over. It's over in your family. It's all done. The only thing left is the manifestation of what God's going to do. John chapter number 11. I'm going to try to be quick, even though this is really not a quick sermon. John chapter number 11. This is the story of Lazarus whenever he was uh, dead. Last week, uh, we taught out of this same text, and we got about 10% through the sermon. Uh, Along the lines of this, the Bible says that Jesus constantly called uh, Lazarus asleep. Everybody else was calling Lazarus dead, but Jesus was calling him asleep. The reason he was calling him asleep is because that's the best way that he could explain Lazarus' situation. So whether Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead or not, uh, Lazarus, when it comes to his relationship with Christ, was only separated, but for a moment or a speck in time, he was not separated for all eternity, which if Jesus said you're dead, you are some kind of dead. So Jesus was recognizing that he is asleep. He's just separated for a short amount of time. So like my children, when I put my, one of my three children to bed, I don't walk out of their bedroom when they go to sleep and cry as if I'm mourning them on the, on the uh, exact opposite. I know that uh, not long from that moment, they're going to wake up when the sun comes up and everything is going to be fine. So when Jesus said asleep, he wanted us to recognize that it's not as if somebody is dead whenever they are asleep in Christ. They are just separated for a short amount of time. Somebody say amen. So what happens is God later teaches us through his word that one day uh, to God is like a thousand years to us. Well, that's interesting. Because if you break that down, that would mean that a 24-hour period to God is like a thousand years uh, to us. Therefore, if you break it down to minutes and seconds, what it comes out to is if you uh, here lose somebody and they have been dead for 42 years on earth, in heaven, that's like 60 minutes. So that's why in the book of Revelation, when it says that he's going to wipe away every tear from your eye, there's no crying in heaven, there's no mourning in heaven. All mourning has been turned to dancing in heaven. There's nothing but joy unspeakable in heaven. And the reason is, because even if you lost somebody 42 years ago, if they are asleep in Christ, the Bible said to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So they literally have been in heaven about 60 minutes if they died 42 years ago. If they died 10 years ago, they've been in heaven for about 14 minutes and 24 seconds. Well, I don't know all that much about heaven. I know there's a great big pearl gate. I know there's uh, streets paved with gold. I know there's a sea of glass. I know there's walls of jasper. I know there's mansions because he said, if there were not mansions, I would have told you there were not mansions. There's mansions in heaven. So there's all kind of wonderful things. So if you lost somebody 10 years ago, they're not crying over you because they haven't even been there 15 minutes. And I would venture to say they cannot take in the grandeur of heaven inside of 15 minutes. So they're still looking around. Maybe they're going for a walk on the golden street. Maybe they're looking for their house. Maybe they're trying to figure out what can I do in heaven now that I'm here. In 15 minutes they might be trying to find the Starbucks which is what my wife would be trying to do. (laughs) But they're not missing you because as far as they're concerned you are at best 15 minutes away in that moment. 
So God, uh, in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, when He defined uh, Lazarus, His friend, He did not call him dead, except for to explain uh, to His disciples that He actually had taken His last breath for that period of time. But He called him asleep. He said, they are just separated from you for a certain amount of time. They, he's not dead. He's just asleep. So the disciples then get the revelation of, okay, great, He's asleep. We were all worried about it. And Jesus has time and goes, no, 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 boys. According to your version of dead, He really is dead, uh, but to me, he's just asleep. So then Jesus goes, and he goes to where Lazarus is, and when he gets there, uh, his, his sister Martha and his sister Mary come out to meet Jesus. Verse number 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house, then said Martha unto Jesus, If you'd have been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said unto her, Your brother will rise again. Martha, being filled with the word of God, said unto him, I know that he shall rise again uh, in the resurrection at the last day. Meaning Martha knew what the Bible said, the Bible at that time. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Which is to say, I am the solution to your problem. The problem with modern day Christianity is this. We want to classify things. We want to segment our lives. And we want to say, here's my Christian part of my life. Here's my work part of my life. Here's my family part of my life. Here's my hobby part of my life. Here's my sleep part of my life. Here's my dancing with the stars part of my life. Here's this other part of my life. And we all want to segment every little piece of our life instead of saying, Jesus is not a portion of my life. Jesus is my life. He is the resurrection and the life. Outside of Him, I have nothing. Inside of Him, I have everything. Don't ask me what's my life like. How's everything going? I will tell you. My life is simply put, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He is the resurrection and He is the life. I don't move off of it. I don't shake off of it. When the storms come, when the winds blow, when the waves rage, I don't back off of that thing because He is my life. He's not a segment of my life. He's not a corner of my life. He's not a participle of my life. Christ Jesus is my life. You say, I don't feel like it. I don't either. All the time. That's why it's called faith. Faith is what we cannot see. It's what we cannot touch. Faith is believing it when all hell is broken out in our lives and everything looks worse than it looked the day before. Faith stares at a giant and when a giant screams at you and says, I'm going to cut your head off, faith rears up like a young shepherd boy and says, I will cut your head off before this thing is over. Don't get moved by what you see. Don't get moved by your circumstances. Don't get moved by anything that has come against you. Because in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who is the resurrection and the life, it's going to make a way. So she says, knowing the scripture, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection. And Jesus says, You're right. But I am the resurrection. Don't segment your life. Don't make Christianity a part of who you are. Christianity is who you are. Is who you are. All right, okay, here. We'll just stop for just a second. Christianity makes your decisions for you. 
Christianity decides how you talk. Christianity decides how you talk to your wife. Christianity decides how you talk to your husband. Somebody say, oh man, I'm missing it. Well, bless God. Got a chance to get it right now. Christianity dictates what you believe. Christianity dictates, uh uh-oh, what I listen to. Christianity dictates what I watch. Here's a tough one. Christianity dictates who I hang out with. Three people. Christianity is my life. Jesus is my life. He said, my business isn't doing well. Christianity determines how I'm going to put my faith when it comes to my business. You say, my job, I don't like it. Christianity is how I choose what job I do or don't do. Well, what do you mean? I pray about it. Well, how long do you pray till I get an answer? How long does that take? Not sure. It varies. Christianity changes who you are into what He's called you to be. And if you want to go full throttle in this thing, and if I could just encourage you, now's the time. Because there's a day coming very soon when it's going to get really, 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 really fun to be a Christian. Really, really, really fun. Could you imagine how the disciples felt when Jesus would heal people or raise somebody from the dead? Peter had a little bit of, how do we call it, an attitude, okay? He was the guy, when they came to take Jesus and arrest Jesus... He's the one who pulled his sword out and tried to uh, cut a guy's head off and missed and cut his ear off. Peter was my kind of guy, I'll be honest with you. Could you imagine, though, Jesus walking around and, and, and the woman with the issue of blood tugs on his coat, tugs on the, the hem of his garment, and she's healed, and Jesus turns around and says, wait a minute, I just felt dynamite power come out of me who touched me. And then we realized that it was the woman who touched him and everything's broken out. Can you imagine the amount of swagger that Peter and those guys had to be walking around with? They say, Peter's walking around. He said, how's it going? He said, oh, pretty good. He said, what do you do? I walk around with Jesus. (laughs) Jesus? You mean the guy who, yeah, 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 Jesus, you know. The one little girl was dead, raised from dead. Some people pulled off a roof, dropped a guy in there, he healed him too. Another guy was by a pool, healed him. A couple blind people. One time Jesus spit in some dirt, rubbed it on some eyes, told us if somebody doesn't like us, we just take our shoes off and knock the dirt off of our shoes in front of them. That's, that's, that's Jesus. That's who I serve. That's who I go with. <laughs> Can you imagine not having to explain yourself? That day's coming back. Well, we're not going to have to explain a thing. People are going to be going, are you a Christian? Yes. Then they're going to go, are you a real Christian? And if you're a real Christian, they're going to go, good, because my cousin's sick. I need somebody to heal him. It's coming. It's coming back. It's coming in full force. Smith Wigglesworth prophesied of the end revival to include Christians emptying hospitals, churches overflowing, all the power. I'm reminded of one particular story. Charles Finney. He had been begged, it's in his autobiography. He had been begged to go and preach at this little small church that had whittled down to six people. 
And, 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 and he said, you know, I, I don't have time. I can't make it. I, I don't have time. And he wanted to go, but he just couldn't. I don't have time. I don't have time. So finally, he, he gets an opportunity to go. He says, I'll go. And this guy says, well, okay, pastor, I'll, I'll take you out there in my horse and buggy. And I love this deal. He says, is your horse uh, uh, trustworthy? He says, well, yeah, he's a great horse. He goes, has he ever run off before? No, man, he's tame, he's broke, he's a great horse, good buggy horse. He just, he just rides us down. And he goes, no, he said, you don't understand. Has he ever taken anybody like me to church before? Well, no, I don't know if he's ever taken anybody like you to church. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, here's the deal. If God wants me to go to this little building, then the devil's going to try to kill me on the way. So if your horse has never been to church and never carried anybody like me before, it might be exciting. And he goes on to say that the horse, having never done anything ever before or since, broke free twice, ran them into the woods, and almost killed them two times. And Charles Finney said, told you. That day's coming. When you're going to be walking into Kroger, and there's going to be a, a block of, of hail fall right beside you, and you're going to look up, and you're going to go, you're going to go, huh. Then you're going to look down and you say, missed again, devil. And you're going to walk into Kroger and you're going to lay hands on somebody who's sick in the store and they're going to be healed by the power of God because that's where we're going with this thing. It's coming back. Oh, I'm excited. Verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. So Martha came and quoted scripture. And Mary, she just a worshiper. She just fell on her face. Said unto him, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have been dead right now. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. Some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes have caused that this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself comes to the grave. It was a cave and a stone laid on it. Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said, Lord, by this time he's been dead for four days, he stinks. And Jesus probably said, you all stink. You don't have running water. <laughs> You're all stained with sin. All of you. You all stink. There was a shift that took place about five verses before I stopped. The Bible says Mary comes to him and falls at his feet. This is the same Mary who would anoint him one chapter later. The Bible says Jesus groaned in his spirit and was troubled. I've always had a hard time picturing Jesus as troubled when it comes to such a minor thing as raising somebody from the dead. When you read the Bible, you can't just read the Bible. You've got to read the Bible. You go back to the Greek, it doesn't say groan. And it doesn't say troubled. Matter of fact, the word groan there is only translated groan in this chapter. The other half a dozen times or so that it's used, it literally means to speak angrily at something. To speak with frustration at something. One, Jesus tells them, or real directly, one, he heals somebody and he, he directly charges them. It's the same word. Don't tell anybody that I've healed you. And another one, some people were lifting up Jesus and the Pharisees came and they, and they charged him. They said, you got to quit lifting up Jesus. They talked real stern. 
So what we see here is Jesus not groaning, but this righteous anger begins to rise up on the inside of him when he sees how hurt his people are. And that's what's happening with you right now. You're going through something and the God that we serve is losing his patience with the enemy and beginning to rise up the very righteous and holy anger. Then it says he was troubled, which doesn't actually translate troubled at all. It literally, uh, not troubled like we would think like, oh, what do I do, what do I do? Troubled like agitated. One scripture says, uh, one translation said like, like turbulent water. Like water that has been stirred up. So literally, when Mary comes and falls at Jesus' feet, He just starts getting frustrated, going, Devil, I'm so sick of you messing with my people. You've had this on. Ta- it took me two days to get here, but I'm here now. And He begins to roll and move like rolling water. And this God, who they looked at as just some simple shepherd or some simple master or some simple rabbi, now starts to turn into this, this God who is so frustrated with the enemy because He said, Enemy, you can only go this far. And He was getting really close to the line. It goes on, they say, oh man, if Jesus had been here, they'd have healed him. If Jesus had been here, he wouldn't be dead. And the Bible says it again. He just begins to move angrily. The message Bible says it like this. It says that he began to get deeply angered and it began to well up on the inside of him. Some of you need to get a little frustrated with your situation and tell the devil you have gone far enough. The Bible says life and death is in the power of your tongue. Some of you need to draw a line in the spiritual sand. And you need to groan on the inside. You need to get a a little bit frustrated about it. You need to decide you have gone too far. I'm not budging one inch. And a roll on the inside. He said, where did you take him? They took him, showed him the cave. The stone there. He told him, move the stone out of the way. Which I find very interesting because if I'm Jesus, I would have done something awesome with the stone. I wouldn't have had anybody else move it. I would have had Gabriel swoop down from heaven and grab it and bounce it like a basketball and then go slam dunk it somewhere. That's what I would have done. But he didn't do that at all. He said, you, move the rock. Which is to say this, you do what you can do and let God do what you cannot do. Some of you have to shake off the weariness. Say, I'm just not going to grow weary and well doing. I'll move the rock. I'll move the rock, Jesus. I'll move the rock. You said, you're God. You could have moved it yourself. There's no question. You could have just moved the rock. I would have loved to see Gabriel just grab it or, or an eagle or a bear come and move it or, or just I could blow it up, make it shrink. I don't know. Make it melt. It would have been awesome, but I'll move the rock. Not because he can't, but because you can. And then he says this with a loud voice. We always like to talk about that still small voice, but there's a loud voice to God too. And it's usually directed at something that's coming directly against God's people. And he says with a loud voice, Lazarus, old buddy, old pal, my friend, come forth. 
Come out of that grave. Show these people that you serve a God who is more than able. Come out of that grave, Lazarus. You're not dead. You're asleep. I've been telling you're asleep. Come out of that grave, Lazarus. Come out of that grave. Don't lay in that grave anymore, Lazarus. I know you stink right now, but we got some deodorant out here. Come out of that grave, Lazarus. Let them smell the anointing of heaven on your life. Come out of that grave, Lazarus. Don't stop right now, Lazarus. Come out of that grave. Show these people, Lazarus. I've been walking around four days. They've been crying. I'm not going to cry anymore. You're not going to... Come out of that grave, Lazarus. God's about to call you out of your grave. God's about to call you out of your situation. God's about to call you into your destiny and your moment. You've been sealed by a rock you thought was holding you in. That stone was just holding you and sealing you for the divine moment that God's ready to call you by name. Hey, buddy, come out of here. Come on, Brian. Brian, get up. Brian, get up. I was just over in Montgomery County minding my business, raising my three kids. Hey, Brian, come over here. I want you to go to the Brazos Valley, build a church. Brazos Valley got plenty of churches, Lord. Yeah, but I want another one. What kind of church? A Holy Ghost church. A Holy Ghost, a Holy Ghost church. What do you want me to preach about? Tell them about how good I am. Okay. Brian, come on, get up. Get up, Brian. You slept too long. Get up, Brian. Come on, Lazarus. Come on, Bill. Come on, William. Come on, Billy. Come on, Willie. Get up. Get up. Oh, I feel God. Get up. Oh. Get up, Lazarus. Move the rock. You could do it yourself, God. I'm asking you to do it, okay. Move the rock. Lazarus comes out. The Bible says he's still bound in all of his grave clothes. Jesus said, loose him. Some of you are still wearing your past. God says, who the Son has set free, is free indeed. You're free. You're loose. Who do you know that's bound that you could just go loose them? Just go set somebody free. So many people are so concerned about how to live for God that they find themselves stuck in their old ways, their old mentalities and their own thoughts. We've got the power, according to what Jesus said, to loose people. Two things that I'm going to close. John 15, 15. Mm. Say, it no longer calls us service, but calls us friends. We're really happy that Jesus is our friend that sits closer than a brother. But isn't it interesting that he calls us his friend? Not too long ago, I had some cable outside that I had to bury. And I looked at the weather and it was going to rain the next day. It was like 50 feet or something. I don't know. But I was going to rain the next day, so it was like 10.30 at night. And I decided I was going to go out there and dig the little trench, put the cable in it, be on about my business. So I called a really good friend of mine. I said, hey, you want to come help me dig a ditch? <laughs> it's 10.30 at night. He says, yeah, sounds good. I said, well, really, you don't have to help me. Just come and watch. He said, no, I'll help. Comes over, 2 o'clock in the morning, we finish digging the ditch. He goes home, I go to bed. 
I didn't think about the guy who waited on me at Chili's to ask him. I didn't think about the lady who checked out my groceries at Kroger. I didn't think about some acquaintances I had in high school. I thought about my friend. Because when somebody's your friend, you will expect them to endure things with you. When you're moving from one place to another, I know most people hate moving, and I am in that category. But you call your friends, not because it's going to be fun, but because they love you, and they will endure with you. And we call Jesus our friend, so we want Him to be the friend that sticks closer than a brother, never leave us, never forsake us, and all those other wonderful things. But we forget in John 15, He calls us friend, which means He's expecting you to endure. He's expecting me to endure. He's expecting me and you to press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. Do you remember whenever uh, the devil was walking around and God goes, Hey, 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 you want somebody to mess with? Hey, try my friend Job. Why would God sick, sick the devil on his friend? He didn't sick the devil on Job. He turned Job loose on the devil. He's expecting you to endure. He's expecting you to press through. Jesus finds out Lazarus is dead. Jesus sits back and says, we'll go over there in a couple days. What do you mean we'll go over there in a couple days? Yes, Lazarus, he's my friend. He won't quit. He won't quit. The level of the circumstance that you are going through right now is directly contingent upon how much God trusts you as His friend. If He thought you would quit, He wouldn't have let it come on you. If He thought you would have quit, He wouldn't have let it go that far. If He thought you would have quit, He would have made it stop before now. But He trusts you. He knows you won't quit. You won't grow weary in well-doing. You will press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. When everybody else gets tired, you're going to grab another gear and move forward. You're His friend. Last point. Martha comes to Jesus and said, If you'd have been here, my brother would be okay. Mary comes to Jesus and said, If you'd have been here, my brother would be okay. And all the Jews around said, If you'd have been here, my brother would be okay. Very politely, they blame Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the moment they quit blaming God is the moment He raised Him from the dead. God's not doing anything bad to you at all. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the answer to all things. He is the problem solver. He is the solution. He is the healer. He's the great physician. He's the one that will never leave you. It is the enemy of God who has risen up against you and trying to stop you from gaining that which is attainable only in Christ Jesus. That is who is coming against you. And your opportunity, nay, your job, is to believe Him in the storm. Don't blame God. And if you know somebody who is, go set them free. Go remind them God loves you. Come on, God's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. You're just His friend, so He's expecting you to endure. He's expecting you to dig the ditch a little while. In due season, you're going to reap. Your whole family's going to live for God. Your marriage is going to be stronger than ever. You're going to have all your bills paid. You're going to have a savings account. Your kids are going to go to college. You're not going to be drowning in debt. These are the things that are going to happen. Don't believe the lie of the devil one minute. And don't you blame God. 
because he's not doing it. On the contrary, he's going to deliver you from it. In Jesus' name. Stand to your feet if you would, please. I'm done teaching.